The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. They come by it honestly. He's a spitting image of his father. You probably recognize these common phrases. We usually say them when we see facial features or character traits that have been transferred from parents to their children, right? They're funny because they're true. Uh, so sometimes uh, my wife and I chuckle when we see our kids do things just like us. Uh, sometimes we'll see our kids bobbing their head to some Christian hip-hop and laugh, saying they get it from their father. Or we'll see our kids do something athletic, and I'll say they got it from their mom. It's unavoidable that children inherit their parents' features and traits. When we see it, it's obvious that our children belong to us. We hand a lot down to our kids, for better or for worse. And what's true in our natural relationships is also true in our spiritual relationships. All people have inherited a sinful nature from their first father, Adam. He represented us as our forefather. And though Adam, or sorry, and uh, though Adam once enjoyed a close relationship with God in the garden, he rebelled against him and broke that relationship off. And his rebellion sunk us all into the same situation, the same condition. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Adam is a leader or head of the human race. And his leadership was marked by failure, disobedience, and sin. And Adam transferred this to us all. We're all rebels and sinners, and we get it honestly. What's wrong with humanity? What's wrong with the world? Where do our deepest problems come from? And is there a remedy that touches to these depths? Today we're, we're going to see how Scripture answers such questions. And it starts with a contrast between our union with Adam and our union with Christ. This morning we're going to look at Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, which is on page 942 of the Bibles in front of you. So please uh, meet me there in Romans 5, verses 12 through 21 on page 942. This passage shows us that all of humanity is divided by their connection to either Adam or Christ. Now, while you turn there, let me remind you that Paul wrote his letter to the church in Rome in the first century AD, and he intended to explain the good news of Christianity to this community of Christians. And he's been explaining how rebellious humans like you and I uh, can have a right standing with God. And now he takes us way back to the start of human history to show us how, uh, to show us where our guilt and rebellion comes from. He'll say, we've inherited this from the first man, Adam. But he'll also tell us good news about a second man, a second Adam, Jesus Christ, who is like Adam as one who represents his people and has handed something down to them. But unlike Adam, who made a mess of everything, Jesus Christ has overturned the consequence of the first Adam's sin. He, Jesus, has made things right again. And not only that, he actually shares his own right standing before God with everyone who believes in him. This is good news. 
And our connection with either Adam, um, uh, uh, and our connection with either Adam by nature or Christ by faith is ultimately important to you and I today because our eternal destiny depends on which man we're joined to. So though this passage is complex, as you'll see, I think it's vital to understand if we want to understand human nature biblically. And if we want to understand the deep reach of the gospel of grace on the human heart. Listen to how Doug Moo uh, breaks the passage before us down as a little entree for today. All people, Paul teaches, stand in relationship to one of two men whose actions determine the eternal destiny of all who belong to them. Either one belongs to Adam and is under sentence of death because of his sin or disobedience, or one belongs to Christ and is assured of eternal life because of his righteous act or obedience. The actions of Adam and Christ, then, are similar in having epical significance, but they are not equal in power. For Christ's act is able completely to overcome the effects of Adam's. Anyone who receives the gift that God offers in Christ finds security and joy in knowing, what the reign of in knowing that the reign of death has been completely and finally overcome by the reign of grace, righteousness, and eternal life. See verses 17 to 21. The power of Christ. Uh, the power of Christ's act of obedience to overcome Adam's act of disobedience is the great theme of this paragraph. So that's where we're going today. And the question for us today to consider is, which man are we joined to? Which man are you joined to? Who do you and who do I belong to? Adam or Christ? Today we'll see that mankind is either connected to Adam by birth or Christ by faith. Mankind is either connected to Adam by birth or Christ by faith. We're going to need God's help today, so let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would open up our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. Please give us hearts that desire to know you and ears that want to hear more about you, and we ask that your spirit would work in open hearts to believe the truths before us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So up to this point in Romans, Paul's been arguing that, that God pronounces us righteous when we believe in Christ. Uh, we receive our righteousness from another when we're united to Christ by faith. Uh, Christ's righteousness is imputed or credited to us when we believe. His merits have been transferred to our account because we're joined to him. And now he's going to make the point that we received our sinfulness in a similar way. It was transferred or imputed to us from another, that is, Adam. Though, as we'll see, we're still held responsible for it. So the logic of this passage goes something like this. Sin is passed down to us from Adam in a similar, though different way that righteousness is passed down to us through Christ. The similarity that he's pointing to is our union or solidarity with either Adam or Christ, our head representatives. With this in mind, let's get to the text. The first thing we see in this text is mankind's deepest problem, sin. Mankind's deepest problem is sin. Look at verse 12. 
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. I think the verses before us go far deeper than any psychology textbook out there on humanity. Scripture's breakdown of the human condition is far more comprehensive and insightful than the popular names like Freud, Rogers, Skinner, or Jung combined. Paul takes us deep into the psychology of people. We're coming to terms with causes here, headship, corporate sin, and human depravity. We're we're told that sin came into the world through the first man's sin. And death came through him and his sin. Then death spread to all men, and as a result, all men sinned. So here's the Bible's teaching on original sin. It comes down to us through Adam. Sin spreads into the world through him, into all uh, of humanity, and through all of humanity into all the world. Sin causes sin. It's universal and uh, inescapable. We sin because we're sinners by nature, meaning we're born right into it. Our sinfulness comes into the world with us when we come into the world on our birthday. Sorry to burst your bubble, parents, but your children are sinners. You probably already know this. But this means that according to the Bible... There's no such thing as an innocent person except, of course, Jesus Christ, who is the God-man. But for every other human being in history, Scripture leaves no room for innocence. Because we cannot avoid being born in sin. It's baked into our humanity, so to speak. We stand with and behind our forefather Adam as sinners. And unless God provides a remedy, we cannot escape the consequences. This is the backstory of humanity. And sin is not just bad because it spreads. It's bad also because it kills. Sin causes death, which includes spiritual death, a broken relationship with God. But it also includes physical death and the second death, which is hell, the wrath of God. Tom Schreiner uh, breaks this down. Well, as he says this, through Adam, sin and death entered the world so that in Adam all die. As the sons and daughters of Adam, human beings are by nature children of wrath. Because of Adam's sin, all people enter the world condemned, spiritually dead, and as sinners. Death and sin reign as the twin towers, as cosmic powers over the world. So having gone back to Adam... The first man on earth in verse 12, we see that we've all become sinners. Friends, it's unavoidable. It's inescapable. You and I are sinners. We all come into this world spiritually dead as a doorknob and no one's home. But maybe anticipating an objection from his listeners, Paul talks about the time between Adam and Moses. Probably not a question you're asking, but possibly what, the, uh, what Paul anticipated people asking. Uh, The question would be, what about the time before the written law, from Adam to Moses? What about Cain and Abel, Noah and his generation? What about the days of the Tower of Babel? Can we really say that those people were guilty of sin if they didn't have an explicit command from God to disobey? I mean, Adam disobeyed a specific command in the garden. 
But what about the people who didn't disobey a clear command from God? Are they excused from their sin if it's not intentional disobedience to an explicit command? How would you answer that question? What does the Bible say? Look at Romans 2.12. Paul says, All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. That is to say, even though their sin is not exactly like Adam's transgression or disobedience, they're, uh, they're still guilty of sin. Look at verses 13 and 14. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So scripture says that sin is in the world before the law. And though uh, the law at at times restrains people from sin and holds us accountable for our specific sin, it's not the cause of sin. The cause of sin in the world is sin. And as we've seen, that goes back to Adam. But sin is a power and it reigns by bringing death to the people who sin. They don't have to sin in the same way as Adam did to be held guilty for their sin. They were guilty before the law came into the world through Moses. They were guilty from birth just like us. In the sports world, we might say flagrant fouls aren't the only fouls that count, right? Motives matter, but they're not all that matter in Scripture. If you kill someone but didn't mean it, you're still guilty of killing them before God and the authorities, right? Have you ever watched the first 48? You're still guilty. Both our intentions and actions matter. Now, I don't think many of us are losing sleep wondering about those who were alive before, uh, between Adam and Moses. Uh, but there are similar questions that do keep us up at night. For example, what do we think about people who've never heard the gospel? Are they guilty before God even though they've never heard about his son? Is the fact that, they've, that they haven't heard a valid excuse for them? Will there be an exception for them? Will God pardon them based on their ignorance of the gospel? Is there such a thing as innocence? What does the Bible say? Look at Romans 3, verses 10 through 11. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There is no exceptions. It's clear, isn't it? Our biggest problem is sin. And we're all sinners. All humans. None is righteous. No, not even one. So as a human race, we're in deep trouble with God. We're guilty before God. That's a fact. And we have no excuses for our sin. Uh, But even if and when we make excuses for our sin, they, they won't hold up against him on the final day. His verdict is the only one that matters. Now you're ready to hear the good news of God's solution for our biggest problem. In verses 15 through 19, we see God's gracious remedy, the free gift. 
Look at verses 15 through 16 to start. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So this paragraph is loaded with good news for weary Christians. Don't you love those words, free gift, free gift, free gift? Our broken relationship with God has been remedied through the free gift, his free gift. And verse 17 says that the free gift is Christ's righteousness. And we receive this because of verse 15 says, the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. It flowed over the top. It, over, it overflowed and spilled over. Now this section is complex because Paul is contrasting the ways Adam and Christ's work are different. They are both representatives of their people, of humans, but their works are different, aren't they? Though Adam made a worldwide mess of things for every individual who was born, Christ's work set things right for every individual who was born again. He was a uniquely qualified person because he never sinned. He could give up his life and share his righteousness with us. So no wonder Paul says in verse 15 that the free gift of our salvation isn't like the trespass. In other words, salvation isn't equal to our sin. No, no. Though many people die through Adam's disobedience, this is true. The grace of God that comes through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, abounds over our sin and it results in justification and life for those who believe. And in a similar way, verse 16 says, the result of this free gift isn't like the result of Adam's sin. Adam's sin brought guilt, death, and condemnation. Christ's work brings life and justification. And this justification means God declares us righteous. And this only comes to those who, as verse 17 says, receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness through the one man, Jesus Christ. Wow. Listen to what Doug Moose says of these verses. Paul explains the typological relationship between Adam and Christ in verses 15 to 21. The similarity between the two consists in the facts that an act of each is considered to have determinative significance for those who belong to each. This structural similarity between Adam's relationship to his descendants and Christ to his underlies all of verses 15 to 21. Adam's act brought condemnation and death. Christ's brought righteousness and life. So this message will not be simply doom and gloom. There is good news around the corner. But we must grasp the true darkness of the bad news. Now this union 
uh, language or this connection or being joined to Adam or joined to Christ, uh, I think is dis- difficult for us to grasp in our culture today. Uh, I think especially because we live in a culture of the self and the individual, right? Um, but I think uh, a sports analogy will help us here. Think for a second about your favorite sports team, okay? Your favorite sport, your favorite sports team. Fill in the blank. Whatever the sport it is, whatever the team it is, they likely have team captains or a leader, right? Either officially or unofficially. And team captains are members of the team and also representatives or leaders of the team. Uh, So they represent the team, yes, indeed, but they also play for the team, right? And if they score a point for the team, the whole team benefits, right? But if they get penalties or fouls, the whole team gets penalized, right? I know all analogies break down, but this gives us a feel for what Paul is saying here. He says that Adam and Christ are the head representatives, or if we could use the analogy, team captains of the human race. You're either on Adam's team or Christ's team. If you're on Adam's team by nature, you will be penalized for his disobedience and yours because... You're on his team. You're guilty by association with Adam. But if you're on Christ's team by faith, you'll benefit from his obedient life because you're on his team now. You'll receive the benefits of his achievements because you're united with him. You're righteous by association with Jesus through faith. Now look at verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Doug Moo says of this verse, Paul often thinks in terms of spheres or dominions and the language of reigning is particularly well suited to this idea. Death has its own dominion. Humanity as determined and dominated by Adam. And in this dominion, sin is in control. But those who receive the gift, as verse 17 said, enjoy a transfer from this domain to another, the domain of righteousness, in which grace reigns and where life is the eventual outcome. Amen. Now only those who receive the free gift enjoy this transfer from death to life, from Adam, from being in Adam to being in Christ. So have you received the abundance of his grace for you? Are you trusting in Jesus to save you? Are you living under the power and reign and dominion of sin or of grace? Now let's continue to see how the remedy of our sin is attained through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18 to 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now Paul is summing things up here. And here we see why our union with Adam or Christ is majorly important for us. Because we're led by the leaders, uh, we're, we're led by these leaders and their works into eternity. 
In other words, humanity always follows its leaders. Adam's sin is transferred to the whole human race and we're considered guilty or condemned before God. Which means if we remain in Adam, we're headed for hell. Because we stand behind him and his disobedient works. But there is a fork in the road in this passage. There is another way. Christ's obedient life is our hope. Being connected to him by faith gives us the standing of righteous before God. His one act of obedience likely refers to the totality of his life, especially his substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection to make right what Adam made wrong. He fulfilled the law and died for sinners. Love what Gerald Bray says. What one man did wrong, another put, can put right. That this has actually happened is the glorious message of the gospel, which is the ultimate and only cure for the problem of what we call original sin. Now these are words of hope, aren't they? Because what you have in the gospel and what you have in the passage before you, friends, are promises that do not depend on you. This is the good news that God has acted in Christ on your behalf. Christ is the perfect, obedient, second Adam that you need and I need to have our sins canceled out and our relationship with God restored. He reverses the works of the curse. Our responsibility now is simply to believe what he's done. Our confidence is not in ourselves, but in Christ making all things new, especially our broken relationship with God. Has he done this for you? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Jesus is our only hope, as we'll see in verses 20 to 21. The next, time, uh, the next thing we see is mankind's only hope is Jesus Christ our Lord. Mankind's only hope, Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Paul starts verse 20 by showing us that when the law came, it revealed our sin to us. The law showed us how sinful our sin is, how wretched we are. Like Adam's clear disobedience to God's specific command in the garden, the law shows us the specifics and at the same time shows us the depths of our sin. When we sin against clear commands, we're continually reminded of how wretched we are. It feels almost like sin increases because the more we understand God's law, the more far-reaching we see our sin has gone. But where sin has increased and gone deep, the grace of God reaches deeper still. Don't you love verse 20? But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Wow. These are words to sing about, aren't they? Grace abounding to us. Christ has fulfilled the law for us and for our salvation. And now his grace superabounds to sinners like you and me. There is more grace in Christ 
than sin in you and me, believer. His grace is, is, is bursting at the seams towards us. And grace is an active power and an expression of God's love that reigns in our life. Look at verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where believers are headed. So in a comparable but far greater way, the, grace of, uh, the reign of grace leads us to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is to say, those of us who are united to Christ by faith live under the leadership of King Jesus. And he leads us all the way home to our Heavenly Father. Grace reigns and rules in our life through the righteousness of Christ. By faith, we stand behind our Lord, our leader, Jesus Christ. We stand as those reconciled to God in union with Jesus. I'll listen to how Tom Schreiner uh, summarizes this. The first Adam was responsible for the old evil age of death and sin. But Jesus, as the second Adam, the last Adam, conquered the twin towers, the evil powers of sin and death. He cleaned up the mess that Adam spawned and more. For human beings do not... Oh, I lost my notes. For human beings do not... Uh, well, I'm sorry about the quote. Oh, there it is. <laughs> For human beings do not only return to the Adamic state, they now enjoy the righteousness and life given to them by the last Adam. All right, thank you, Kim. Excellent. And our chapter now ends, once again, emphasizing where all these benefits come from. They come through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, as I conclude this series, let me remind you where we've been. We've been talking about the assurance of our salvation, how we can be confident that we who believe in Jesus actually belong to God. He is our Heavenly Father. We've seen that there's no grounds for this kind of confidence outside of Christ because all of us are in Adam. Naturally, sinners condemned unclean before God. But in Christ, there is an abundance of grace for us who believe. We have received his righteousness and can be sure that as far as our standing with God is concerned, it's all good. Christ has saved us. That's a fact. He's our confidence before God today and on Judgment Day. So believer, are, are you very aware of your failures, disobedience, and sin? Does your spiritual life go up and down like a yo-yo? You're not alone. Do, do you have, uh, but you do have a hope that anchors your soul in the person of Christ. You stand behind him and his achievements. You're in him. You're united to him. Rejoice and be glad. Jesus is your representative. So let me close with a quote from a man named John Bunyan who lived a long time ago. But he has an autobiography called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Based on verses 20 and 21, I believe. Now listen to John Bunyan's confidence 
He looks back to his conversion and he talks about it. He, He says, It was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet any bad frame that made your nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ Himself, the same yesterday and today and forever. So remember, believer, Jesus Christ is your righteousness. You stand as one declared righteous in Him. So you can be confident in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we stand before you under and wrapped in the merits of Jesus Christ. We stand righteous by our association with Him. We thank you for your love for each one of us, and I do pray that you would strengthen our Thank you.